You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, I'm Denny O'Neill, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Epic Marvel Podcast. This is Captain America, Episode 1, Captain America Lives Again, covering a period of Captain America from 1963 to 1967. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. And I'm your Silver Age Captain America host, Drew Ivers. And if you are joining us for the first time, this is the first Captain America episode, but it's not the first one that we've released here on the Epic Marvel podcast, because if you are familiar with the Epic collections that Marvel puts out, they don't put them out in order. They're they're out of order. So we are also doing the same thing and releasing our episodes out of order as well. And so I've already released some Captain America from the 80s episodes, if you go back through my archives, and I was doing those with my co-host Jared, who's going to cover the Bronze Age material. But uh, joining me here is Drew. Yeah, Drew, you're going to talk to me about Captain America through the 60s and the 70s, and that's quite exciting. Yep. Yeah, you and I have talked about Wolverine, and this is uh, quite a change of pace from, from 80s and 90s Wolverine, so I'm, I'm really excited to get into some some really classic material here. Yeah. So tell me, what exactly are we going to be talking about in this episode? Uh, we're going to be covering Strange Tales number 114, Avengers number 4, and Tales of Suspense number 58 through 77. Yes. So this isn't going to be the entire Epic Collection Volume 1. We're going to split this Epic Collection into two. So this will be part one of our first episode and next next week hopefully we'll be able to present you uh, part two yep they're uh they're 10 page stories and there's mm-hmm. quite a few of them in here so definitely <laughs> spread it out a bit now if if you are familiar with captain america you know that his history doesn't start here in 1963 captain america goes way back drew do you want to talk a little bit about captain america before this volume yeah um he obviously was created around World War II, right around the time where where Nazism was on the rise, and and America was getting into uh, the big fight. And um, it was actually just before they got in, involved, because I think mm-hmm. Captain America Comics number one came out in March of 1941, and then America entered the war in December of that year. Yeah, uh, right after Pearl Harbor. Yeah, he was created by uh, Jack Kirby and Joe Simon uh, for Timely Comics, which would eventually turn into Atlas Comics and then Marvel Comics um, quite a bit later. And he was very popular uh, during during the wartime and into the 1950s. And then superheroes kind of kind of became quite a bit less popular and gave way to uh, monster stories and westerns. And his book ended up getting canceled. Yeah, his last issue was issue 73 
in July 1949. So that actually isn't very long that he was around. It was eight years. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there was a short revival when Atlas Comics was a thing from 53 to 54, but it was ultimately a failure and didn't really go anywhere. And then Captain America was just kind of forgotten for a little while until Stan Lee got the reins to uh, take over Marvel Comics and started creating blockbuster after blockbuster with his artists and decided to revive Captain America again. And this time it was incredibly successful. We should also note that Captain America Comics number three in 1941 featured a prose story by a young whippersnapper named Stanley Lieber. <laughs> it was his first work, his first printed comic work um, in, in any sort of comic form. And of course, Stanley Lieber eventually changes his name to Stan Lee. And so that's, so both Jack Kirby and Stan Lee have ties to this character that go way back. Yeah, and you can you can tell reading through some of these issues we'll get into later. Uh, there's a lot of parallels and a lot of uh, a lot of retold stories and villains in here. So if if you're a fan of the Golden Age Captain America, uh, I think you'll definitely be a fan of, of this volume here. I haven't actually read any Golden Age Captain America, so um, I've read this material before, the Silver Age stuff, but I, but I'm very unfamiliar with most of Marvel's Golden Age. I should I should pick those up. I wonder if those will ever end up in an epic collection. I think if there's any anyone that will, Captain America would be probably one of the first. So Yeah, for sure. I asked for some comments on Facebook. I forgot to put up a Twitter poll regarding this, uh, about this volume, so I don't have one of those this week. But um, I did ask for some comments, and on Facebook, Billy says, The Lee and Kirby stories are great, fantastic artwork, and high drama. Ben Hayes says, I actually haven't read very much of this material, but I have seen it in cartoon form. And that's actually something that I am familiar with as well. A lot of these stories were quite literally turned into cartoons because they were just exactly the panels and, and kind of crudely animated in the 1966 show Marvel Superheroes. And uh, I, rem- I watched those on VHS and I've seen a lot of them on YouTube. So I do know those stories from there as well. Did you ever watch that show? I haven't seen those. No, I'll have to check them out. It's the show, it's the same company that did the Spider-Man show from the 60s. Oh, It released okay. a year before, except it's nowhere near as good as the Spider-Man show. <laughs> and um, it was comprised of different segments. A different segment would air, um, a different character would air every day of the week, I believe. And it was Captain America, Thor, Hulk, Iron Man, and Namor the Submariner. And, uh, and they were just, they took all of the panels directly from the comic books and like you know it would move an arm or something to show that there was some motion <laughs> very crude but um of its time and a, a very uh, a very neat part of marvel history and last comment josh says i have a long history with these stories my original exposure uh was in reprint the reprint title from the 70s marvel double feature I devoured those issues and loved them. And then I read the whole shebang in The Essential, and now I own the epic. 
Captain America is my all-time favorite superhero, and much of the reason why are these stories, particularly when Stan and Jack worked their magic, firing on all cylinders to give us World War II adventures, the Red Skull, Cosmic Cube Saga, and Steve joining S.H.I.E.L.D. and battling AIM. This has everything that made 60s Marvel explode. Dynamic in action, real human pathos, and iconic villains. Enough said. I I agree completely. Uh, There's several stories where in this first episode we'll talk about where you actually get a rush and you get kind of nervous for Captain America and that for me personally is hard to pull off from uh, Silver Age comics this era usually they're so overloaded with dialogue and they don't flow quite as nicely as uh, more modern comics but I mean like like he said uh, Stan and Jack work their magic here and it, it they pull it off completely now, I've been reading a lot of this 60s material for the podcast lately because I've been reading uh, Spider-Man. We just released some of those episodes and then Thor before that and Ant-Man not too long ago. And then Avengers is going to come up in a couple of months as well. It, it, it amazes me that Stan Lee was writing and Jack Kirby for the, for the most part as well uh, was writing. They were writing all of these, yet all of these characters have a very different tone uh, to their to their books, of course, Spider Man because of Steve Ditko's influence is the most um, different out of all of them. But mm-hmm. even Thor, that was so fantasy based, and the the stories were way more outlandish and and adventure filled, and the, they weren't as good as these Captain America ones. And the Ant Man ones were a lot more fun and light hearted, and there was a lot more dialogue in there. It, um, Captain America he really captures the adventure part of uh, the Marvel universe in a way that the other superhero comics don't. I think they really take advantage of the, the flashbacks to world war two and yeah. kind of tying it into the more modern day. And it, it creates a really exciting template or, or palette for them to draw with. So, Yeah. Well, let's jump into our issues here, starting with Strange Tales number 114. Now, I thought that this was an unusual thing to start with. When I when I found out they announced this epic collection, I wasn't sure if they were going to put this at the beginning of it, but they did. And it's unusual because it features Captain America, but it's not actually Captain America. And in this one, this is, of course, a, a Human Torch story. Human Torch had his own... Uh, his own ongoing series as a segment in Strange Tales for a number of years. And so in this one, Human Torch meets Captain America, the long-lost Captain America. He returns to fight crime, but then Human Torch discovers that Captain America is actually up to something. Um, (laughs) He's not all that he seems to be. Turns out he is actually the villain called the Acrobat, who is actually from Strange Tales number 106. And this apparently was a test to kind of gauge readership to see if fans would want Captain America back. Because as we know, as we just said, they tried reviving him in the 50s and it didn't work. So would people actually care? And apparently now they did. <laughs> I, I thought it was a really interesting way to test whether people wanted the character, given that it's not actually Captain America. So I guess you're looking at the costume and, and hoping that He's a good character when you actually yeah. do see him. 
Well, I could see because the 60s are not so far removed from World War II. Nowadays, it's like you can't even really grasp the concept of World War II. But for people in the 60s, it was still very much a real thing. And I can see kids, like teenagers in the 60s were born during World War II, a lot of them, uh, or, Mm -hmm. or thereabouts. And so the Captain America comics, they probably found a lot of them still in their in their parents' garages or, you know, kicking around places. They probably were still there. And so to see Captain America new on the newsstands, on the pages of of Strange Tales, right on the cover, they pick it up. Yeah, right, uh, Captain America, here it is. And they they get reading it. And then they're disappointed that there's a, it's not actually him. And they're like, come on, Stan, we really want the real Captain America. It's probably drummed up a lot of, a lot of good attention because of the fact that it actually wasn't really him. Yeah, I just, I, I thought the, I'm glad they included this issue, but I thought the reveal at the end was kind of lame, like you said. And the dialogue from the acrobat slash Captain America was <laughs> pretty funny. I mean, he's constantly reassuring himself that he's Captain America with, you know, with a little twist, obviously, but it, (laughs) I guess it's there to keep the, the reader hooked as you go through, but yeah, you know, I'm glad they included it. Yeah. And so what I was saying earlier about have all of the different books that Stan was writing at the time, having a different feel to it. um, Human Torch was uh, among the worst of what Stan was, was doing in these days and you can tell from this one issue it really doesn't hold up to anything else that's in this book um it's it's just kind of there but but human torch was popular which is why uh i I think there's two reasons why captain america appeared in this book rather than any of the other any of the other superhero books that were going at the time one human torch was popular but two, Human Torch was actually another character from the Golden Age. It wasn't Johnny Storm, but it was someone that appeared in those comics. So it kind of makes sense that they would appear in the same book again. And that actually is a good segue into Avengers number four uh, with Submariner, who is another Golden Age character. Absolutely. Why don't you take us through Avengers number four? Uh, sure. So Submariner and the Avengers um, have just finished up a, a battle and they they stumble upon a block of ice which contains the still living body of uh, Captain America. And the Avengers thaw him out and he kind of recounts his last moments and they end up returning to New York City where the Avengers are turned to stone. Uh, so with the help of Rick Jones who reminds Cap a lot of Bucky Barnes, uh, they reveal that an alien was hired by Submariner to turn them to stone. Eventually, they foil this plan, and they all proceed to team up and fight the Submariner, and at the very end, Captain America is invited to join the Avengers. This is a great issue. It's so it's so iconic. It's such a... It's one of these issues that defines Marvel Comics, I think. I think you kind of get chills reading it. Um, <laughs> yeah there's the panel on page four of the issue page 29 of the book where uh right in the middle of the page where captain america is dethawed and the shield is on his chest and he's got tatters all over him i mean it's just it's just such good work that it it yeah it's iconic it's probably one of the most important issues in marvel history i'd say absolutely this is this is one of these issues that i've read like 
I don't know, many, many times. Mm-hmm. And each time I go through it, I love it. And part of it is is actually the artwork. It's got a very odd inking style. Um, who inked this one? What does it say? It uh, is... Uh, oh, just illustrated by Jack Kirby. I wonder if he is the inker then. Jack doesn't usually ink his own stuff. Hmm. So it is interesting that... Uh, that he, like it stands out to me, um, especially with that panel that you pointed out. It's like the inking style is very blocky, is very harsh. Uh-huh. It's it's not uh, refined. It's kind of sketchy. In fact, it kind of reminds me of Don Heck. I had uh, Chick Stone as the inker on this one. But okay, Chick Stone. Um, yeah, that could be too. Chick, I find that this one had the backgrounds are a lot more detailed than Chick usually gets. He doesn't Chick often doesn't put a whole lot of kind of shadow blocky shadows mm-hmm. into his work um but yeah i don't know i'm i'm not sure it doesn't credit the inker exactly so i'm sure maybe some historians out there have found that out um but i didn't look into that before <laughs> recording this podcast so for me i i love the issue but the first half definitely works better for me than the second half once yeah once they kind of reveal the 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 broccoli looking alien, yeah, and, and kind of go into the subplot of the submariner hired him, it kind of loses a little bit of steam for me. But um, it falls into Stan's regular kind of traps in these early '60s issues of just the, the big reveal of being a random alien. He does it yeah. all the time in these books. He pretty much uh, populated Cosmic Marvel early on so yeah with aliens that we never see ever again (laughs) well yeah as much as we want to praise this issue it's actually what i think we should move on to the actual captain america issues so let's keep on moving here unless you have anything more you want to say about this one uh no i mean so i did kind of want to touch on that um the golden age captain america stories have been retconned a little bit to where uh the later half of the issues it they have retconned it to where it wasn't actually Steve Rogers. It was a few of his replacements. So this issue Avengers number four here is actually the first appearance of Steve Rogers since 1945, depending on which continuity you want to believe. But Oh, so you're saying the revival in the fifties wasn't Captain America, wasn't Steve Rogers. Yeah. And even, even before that um, he had been replaced by, uh, like the spirit of 76. Uh, I can't remember his name. I think it was William Nasland. Oh. By a couple other Captain America, you know, not, not imposters, but they took over the mantle. And uh, and that was a retcon. So that obviously, if you're reading those in the, the 40s, you wouldn't be able to tell it wasn't Steve Rogers. But uh, within Marvel continuity, this is the first appearance of Steve Rogers in a long time. So, Okay, interesting. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Um, here's something. Here's a question I have for you. Did Captain America have the super soldier serum in the Golden Age, or was he just a costumed soldier? Uh, no, it's pretty much the same exact origin. Okay. Uh, if you read Captain America comics number one, and there's a, a retelling of the origin, they're almost exactly the same. Okay, good. Because I I just found it odd reading through this collection because uh, the the origin story is going to come up in several issues from now. But before that, they he makes no mention of having any sort of superpowers. He just seems like a a Bruce Wayne type, you know, human at the peak physical condition. 
Yeah, he, he's constantly mentioning if you're in if, if you're in perfect human condition, you can do the same things he can, which doesn't quite explain the whole uh, the Operation Rebirth with the right all that and um, obviously living forever and or never aging things like that. But uh, yeah, he's he's always mentioning that. So he's Captain America. What more can you say? <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's move on to Tales of Suspense number fifty eight. This is uh, an Iron Man story, actually. It's going to feature Captain America. But this, uh, similar to what happened with Tales to Astonish, the Hulk appeared in an Ant-Man story, the very issue before the Hulk got his own story, uh, his own his own ongoing section of that comic. So the same thing is going to happen here. We have Captain America guest starring in Iron Man. In the very next issue, he will have his own section in Tales of Suspense. But in this issue... It's called In Mortal Combat with Captain America, and some Spider-Man villains, Craven and Chameleon, return to America. Um, and I talked about, we talked about this in the recent Spider-Man episode 1B that will have been released by the time this episode airs, um, that Craven got deported back to Russia. Or back to, we don't know where he's from. We know now that he's Russian, but at this point we didn't know where he's, but he's overseas. He got deported back to wherever he came at the end of that Spider-Man issue where he first appeared. This mm-hmm. is his second appearance, and he's coming back. Actually, technically, it's not his second appearance because he makes an appearance in Spider-Man Annual number 1 as part of the Sinister Six, and they don't explain why he's back. He's just there. <laughs> but here is coming, he says... Uh, on the second page of this issue, he says, when they deported Craven the Hunter, I warned them I'd be back. And the chameleon as well, says the chameleon back <laughs> in behind him. And I just find it so funny that Craven gets taken out in the second or the third page of this book, <laughs> and we never see him ever again. The real threat here is the chameleon who poses as Captain America to try and cause dissension within the ranks of the Avengers and Iron Man ends up trying to fight Captain America, thinking that he's that he's the chameleon. Kind of chameleons doing this whole switcheroo thing. They have a big battle. The most of the issue is a big fight, and at the end they figure out what's really going on, and then they all make up and they get chameleon, and then they they save the day, and everyone goes away happy. One of those classic misunderstandings where they they have to fight. It's always that case. Yeah, that's like every issue of. Marvel team up. Spider Man mm-hmm. meets a new hero, thinks he's a villain, or they think he's a villain. They have to fight. Then they realize they're on the same side and they work to the greater good every single time. <laughs> Chameleon warns Craven, you know, he says, Don't go up there. It's it's heavily guarded and Craven says, Follow me, spineless one. Craven fears no guards that live and he <laughs> runs right into Iron Man. So Yeah. <laughs> um, this is another plot that Stan will use it's the classic Scooby-Doo plot although Scooby-Doo wasn't created by at this point it's the thing where it's like the villain or the person we meet at the beginning is the person who's kind of beyond the whole thing and they have a an unmasking at the end and they're like the real culprit is the chameleon and then the chameleon will say something like I would have gotten away with it too if it weren't for you meddlesome kids doesn't actually say that here but close enough yeah i just like the on page 66 of this book um the reveal where they're pulling off his mask and there's a chameleon mask underneath (laughs) (laughs) yeah that's right 
So why don't we keep on going to the very first issue of Captain America's own very own ongoing story? Yeah, and he he shares the cover. This is uh, Tales of Suspense fifty nine. They they share the cover for a few times here. Great um, cover. Before, before alternating covers, it yeah it is. Uh, Captain America is bursting through the wall and. Iron Man is kind of introduced, like waving to introduce him in a way. So it reminds me of that Batman cover with the with Robin coming through the the circle. Yeah. So yeah, this title this is very simply titled Captain America, and it's a pretty simple story. Uh, a group of thieves break into the Avengers Mansion to steal their plans, whatever those are, and uh, Captain America happens to be on watch that night, and and they end up fighting. I find that these first few Captain America stories are a little weak. I agree. It isn't until they get to the flashbacks when this this title really starts ramping up. And in these first few stories, Captain America has to fight several thugs that are all wearing the same color. So in this issue, they're all wearing purple. And in the next issue, they're all wearing green. <laughs> and in the one after that, they're all wearing khaki. And it's just, uh, it's pretty much the same plot kind of over and over again. Yeah, I, I really didn't, I mean, it's, I really didn't understand the plot to this one. They basically <laughs> said they're going to grab the Avengers plan, secret plans and they're worth a fortune. And so they kidnap Jarvis and apparently it's common knowledge. If you call in, you can find out who is, who is on watch that night. And he said, well, it's Captain America, of course. And they say, well, okay, it's just one guy. And like you said, it, it's the first few issues here are he's just fighting large groups and he, they kind of put him through his paces to see what he can do, I guess. But there's not much meat to the story beyond that. There really isn't. It's kind of just a showcase to show how cool Captain America is and kind of all of his powers and how he how he strategically takes people down and such. But yeah, nothing more than that, really. And I mean, there is there is the one kind of interesting character or villain in this the guy in the sort of iron man suit but he really it's not a very special suit at all it's literally just an iron suit and other than that they're all just kind of generic thugs so yeah interesting to note that captain america has magnets on his glove and that is what causes his shield to return to him i think that this is like the only time you see that yeah and i think they mentioned i'm not sure if it's this issue but that uh Tony Stark installed those for him. Ah, right. Okay, well, we don't have to uh, spend any more time on this one. <laughs> we can move over to Tales of Suspense number 60, and in, this is called The Army of Assassins Strike. And this one, uh, Baron Zemo sends an army of trained assassins to take down Captain America, but as we just found out in the last issue, Captain America isn't so easy to take down. And this one is another fairly generic story. The only real thing of note is that it is the return of Baron Zemo, who is a character from Captain America's past. Yeah, and he had he'd been in a couple issues of the the Avengers prior to this. Um, so he's he's got some some roots in the Silver Age here. But other than that, it's pretty much um, just just him fighting the green the green colored Goon Squad <laughs> yep. here. And, is, uh, yeah. and Rick Jones does. Rick Jones shows up for a little bit to kind of help him. But my favorite part is the humiliation of, of Baron Zemo at the end, and he, Captain America, kind of says, "Oh, you failed," and calls him out on national TV. So, other than that, though, um, 
yeah, it's pretty much just a, a fight with a big group of goons. Yeah, yeah. And so I was uh, mentioning about Chick Stone's inking. It, the, these ones, if you compare the stuff that is in this issue to stuff down the road that is inked by, ooh, I don't even know who inks it later on, but it, these ones just seem a little bit plain. There's not mm-hmm. a whole lot of weight to these characters. The lines are nice. He does some really nice line work, but they're, but he, like I said, he doesn't kind of do a whole lot with shadows or shading, so everything looks kind of flat. I agree, yeah. It's still Jack Kirby, so you can't complain too much. Right, but, no, uh, the layouts are fantastic. Yeah, oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. There's definitely, the things, things don't pop off the page. They're pretty much flat, like you said. Shall we keep going? Sure. Uh, Tales of Suspense number 61 is called The Strength of the Sumo. And uh, Captain America is trying to negotiate the release of a soldier being held hostage by the Viet Cong. And uh, he ends up battling a a sumo who is one of the major generals in the Viet Cong. And uh, he ends up taking him down and escaping with the hostage. Now, sumo wrestling, a big thing in Vietnam... (laughs) <laughs> I always associate that with Japanese culture. Yeah, yeah, that's my that was my thought reading this. They they kind of make a few conflations of of Asian culture in general here. <laughs> yeah, it's true they do. <laughs> uh yeah, it it's also interesting for me reading this to remember that at this time the Korean War was going on. And um or not the Korean War, the Vietnam War. The Korean War was before this. Yep, and yep. um and that Captain America would do the same thing as he did in World War II, except in Vietnam. But there's just not the same sort of focus as Captain America in any other war, because he's so associated with World War II. I think this is the very early days of the Vietnam War before it turned into the mess that it did. And I think things were a little less murky when this was written in okay. the 60s. But yeah, it's it's um, 60s stan lee writing so it's you know the racial it's not quite a nuanced racial uh portrayal here but, yeah um, and you know it's like the story until until they get to the sumo uh sumo general it's kind of a kind of a slow story and that it kind of picks up at that point all of the vietnamese people are they have just pink colored skin like captain america mm-hmm and if you read other comics from this era, like let's say in Iron Man with uh, like the Mandarin and such, uh, a lot of the characters, a lot of the Asian characters have very yellow, like actual yellow colored skin in that yeah. very sort of racist stereotype kind of way. So do you know if the original comics had this same skin tone or if it, they were yellow and they've changed that for this collection? No, as far I don't have the originals to compare, but as far as I know, the epics um, restore to the original colors, no, no matter what. So, yeah, that's what I thought as well. It's um, and I do remember seeing the the yellow skin in some of the other books. It's just odd that uh, they weren't consistent with that particular stereotype. Yeah, I'm <laughs> not not that I'm complaining or anything, but <laughs> you know. <laughs> uh, what did you think of the sumo general character? Oh, he was um he was fairly typical of a of a villain of this era. I think it's a <laughs> it wasn't it it 
I don't know. I just got distracted with the fact that it was a sumo in in <laughs> Vietnam. Vietnam. That was really kind of. I don't know. He, he was just a. He's just an overconfident bad guy, really. Yeah. It's not nothing really to write home about. On the very last panel, it says Cap guest stars in Sergeant Fury number thirteen now on sale. That was just a little ad for another comic at at the time, but it's kind of that was important because it was connecting sergeant fury with the rest of the marvel universe Mm -hmm. and also placing him with fury which later on in this book we will um, probably not in this episode but we'll talk about sergeant fury and captain america meeting again Uh, one more thing go to page 92 in this collection it's page two of the book here Um, the very first panel I, Kirby does this a lot with his layouts. In the very first panel here, Captain America's got his arms raised, and one hand is completely blocking the face of the general he's talking to, who actually <laughs> says quite a bit, but you can't see his face. Uh, no, no reason for that, but Kirby often will obscure people's faces, and I'm not exactly sure why he does that, but often in these battle sequences, like if you turn the page to... Um, page 94 or page 4 in this story all of these panels of Captain America fighting you can't see anybody's face at all yeah it's very strange yeah I mean for for the most part you uh, from page 93 and 94 when he's fighting these two big guys uh, you see their faces a little bit uh, and then not you see in the first panel and then not at all yeah after that so yeah, I'm not exactly sure why he does that, but he does that quite often. If you if you pay attention to these fight sequences, especially, he often obscures the face. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Okay. Number sixty-two. This one's called "Breakout in Cell Block 10. Uh, Captain America is invited into this jail, and when he gets there, all of the bad guys are let out of the jail because apparently the warden is not really the warden; he's a fake warden. And the real warden has been locked up. And uh, Captain America has to break out of this impenetrable uh, prison, which he ends up ends up not doing. But he does take out all of the bad guys. And then the warden lets him out of the, um, out of the prison because there's a top secret code word, and the word is Captain America. <laughs> <laughs> and this is another one. He's just fighting a bunch of inmates that are all dressed in gray. So it's kind of the same same setup at least it's a little bit more of an interesting story i guess so it it seemed you would think captain america would ask more questions before he gets into a situation like this (laughs) yeah right he says something about oh on the first the very first page he says well i wonder why they asked me to demonstrate my my powers you know and he just i mean he's like well i guess i'm captain america i can get out of any situation and yeah, it's it's just another big fight. And these a couple of these characters do show up again in Captain America 260, uh, where Captain America goes back to prison. Yeah, um, a story called Prison Reform. Okay. Well, let's leave these stories behind us because now we can get into the meat of the book. So, do you want to take us through number 63? Yeah, this is a great issue. This uh, is titled The Origin of Captain America, and the cover is uh, a very tiny Steve Rogers kind of powering up into a a larger Captain America. So Operation Rebirth is successful in turning Steve Rogers into Captain America, uh, but Nazis end up sabotaging the tests. 
Captain America ends up becoming a hero on the home front here and ends up meeting Bucky Barnes when Bucky stumbles upon him changing into his Captain America costume. Uh, they end up teaming up together to take down some Nazi submariners who are on the American coastline. This is probably the other most important issue in Captain America history here. Again, another one that's so iconic. And I feel, man, when I watched the movie, the first movie, and they were telling this story out so well, um, over the first half of it, at least, with Operation Rebirth, like they did such a good job mm-hmm. of of portraying this issue in movie form. I think I think that's one of the big strengths of the Marvel movies. I mean, it's you kind of get sick of origin stories after a while, but yeah. they they really do such a good job with Steve Rogers as a character before he turns into Captain America that you really feel invested in him as a person. And it's not quite the same here. Uh, you don't really get to meet Steve Rogers at all before he he chugs the magic potion here. But right, it's such a it's such a great origin here. So this issue says it's inked by Frank Ray, which is actually Frank Giacoya, and you can tell about with the inking that this one this is a different inker. So if we were since we've been talking about Chick Stone's inking, uh, compare Chick Stone to Frank Giacoya in this issue, and uh, there's a lot more of the roundness and, and weight to these characters because of the use of just the use of black uh, with the shadows and stuff. So I like it better. If you're not familiar with World War Two, then there's some stuff in here that. Uh, in, in all of these comics that you kind of don't know, they make references to times and dates and places and actual events and people that uh, are real in history that we don't, you know, being so far removed, especially me as a Canadian, I don't learn about the American side of World War II <laughs> in, in history class, right? So you, you just kind of figure these things out. And one of those things was the doctor on page two Who's, uh, who says, oh no, on page three, the doctor says, bring in the volunteer. It has taken us months to find the proper 4F specimen. And I'm like, what is a 4F specimen? I had to look that up. And it's uh, there's a ranking system of people who are fit to be in in the war. Mm-hmm. One 1A being top of the line, like perfect condition. 4F being the bottom of the barrel. So Steve definitely was not uh, a good candidate for war. But he was a great candidate for this experiment. And they, uh, on page two there in the first panel, they say how it was a, a standing gag during the draft days of World War II where if you could make it to the draft board under your own steam, they would put you in a uniform. And, uh, right. and they, they, the guy tries to pass off a case of hay fever. And, <laughs> and the doctor says, oh, is that so? The army will keep you supplied with handkerchiefs. You'll pass. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty much pretty much anyone who's not Steve Rogers can make it into the army. Right. Um, and yeah, I mean, you can tell he's he's a pretty skinny little weak guy. And uh, if you've seen the Captain America movie, the the way they did the the computer, the CGI with mm-hmm. Chris Evans, they do a great job of replicating that here in the movie. They sure do. Uh, on page seven in this collection, page one hundred and nineteen. Sorry, page one hundred and nineteen in this collection. In the second panel. 
is a perfect example of comic book writing in the 60s. Look at what happens in this one panel. The sergeant says, I'll do the talking, Rogers, yells, and in the same panel, Steve Rogers thunks down his his uh, gun, and at the same time, the sergeant picks up his foot uh, and, and yells, <laughs> not on my foot, you blasted digit. And this guy in the background is walking back again, having a really long thought. It's like it all, all of this stuff happens in one panel, but it for some reason it seems to work because you, you start at the top reading the sergeant's uh, words and... It, you don't quite associate the words with what's happening in the picture quite at that point. And then the words take you, parade rest takes you to where Steve is and you can see what Steve is doing and then it draws your eye to where the foot is going up and you see the sergeant's reaction. It's kind of weird, but this is the kind of storytelling that happened. Like you'd have the cause and effect all in one panel, whereas nowadays you wouldn't do that. So what do you, what do you think of the, the secret identity here of... Um private rogers it's very strange um i didn't i forgot i had forgotten about this aspect of the character and especially when we think of the movies these days no one has a secret identity it's odd that they give him one here wouldn't he just be more effective just being full-time captain america that that was my thought exactly like what i mean he's getting into all these hijinks with the sergeant in in every issue here like and- who's he trying to protect he <laughs> he doesn't have a family or like there's I don't know it's, there's no reason for him to have a secret identity no it's pretty much I mean I guess it was just the the standard of the day is you had to have a secret identity and I think I think Captain America has always had a problem with that uh, especially because you know he tried he tried to be a, a cartoonist for Marvel Comics and the that's 70s, right. 80s and, <laughs> yes. he, he's just never it's never quite stuck with me uh why he would have a secret identity and i don't think it was until 2002 or three in the the marvel knights series where he ended up revealing he, he took off his mask on national tv and and revealed who he was and uh, i was so glad he did that um i don't know if it's still stuck around in modern day but um i just i never saw the point of it really yeah nowadays he is full-time Captain America. He doesn't have any sort of day job or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I mean, the, Spider-Man did the same thing, but then they retconned that out. <laughs> I think Captain America still... Yeah, I don't know if his identity is publicly known, but he certainly isn't... Uh, he doesn't care about that these days. Uh, what, what do you think of uh, Bucky's debut in this issue? <laughs> it's um, It's... It's kind of funny how he just kind of stumbles in there. Uh, it kind of reminds me of Tim Drake finding out about Batman, that Batman's Bruce Wayne, and he kind of is like, you know, you're Bruce Wayne. I, now I have to be Robin because I know the secret identity. <laughs> <laughs> you have no choice. And yep. Captain America even kind of threatens him a little bit. He says, if this was the Third Reich, I'd have to shoot you to keep my secrets safe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, well, yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> It is funny also that Bucky and Rick Jones are pretty interchangeable. Mm-hmm. They talk the same way, they act the same way, and they even play that fact up that they kind of even look the same later on when Rick Jones puts on Bucky's costume. <laughs> that happens in a different issue. 
Okay, yeah, so that is the origin of Captain America. And so from now on, we are in a series of flashback stories that take place all in World War II, reliving the glory days of Captain America. And I wonder if they did this because Captain America was also appearing present day in Avengers. So they could do kind of both both kinds of stories at the same time. That makes sense, yeah. But anyway, this next one is called, uh, this is Tales of Suspense number 64, Among Us, Wreckers Dwell. Introducing the mind-staggering villainy of Sandu and Omar. <laughs> Two villains that I'm sure everybody remembers. <laughs> well, this is, uh, this is a retelling of Captain America Comics number one. Well, this is almost the exact same story as that issue. I did not know that. This is, that's yeah, amazing. Yeah. The, they, that issue starts out with the origin, and then the second um, story of that issue... Even down the first page, it's almost exactly the same. You have Sandu and Omar, Sando and Omar, uh, there, and you have Captain America crashing in with their big uh, fortune-telling globe. And even the the ship and the munitions factory and the globe are almost exactly the same. Fantastic! I am going to have to look that up. Those old Captain America comics are on Marvel Unlimited, so I'll I'll check those out because I'd love to see the comparison. It's it's all redrawn, I assume, right? Because this is definitely Kirby's present style rather than his 1940s style yeah it's redrawn but it i mean the layout uh is is pretty dang close <laughs> okay so just briefly this is um, um these two guys sandu and omar can predict the future they predict disasters that are going to happen and they find out that they're actually causing the disasters in order to make all their money and this is the first appearance of agent 13 who is uh, kidnapped by the villains and gets rescued um, but apparently she doesn't need to be rescued. She can handle her own. And Agent 13 is... Um, should we spoil it now? I guess we could spoil it. Sure. This is uh, this is Peggy Carter. We don't actually learn that it's Peggy Carter for, I don't know, something like 80 more issues. Like, they don't really name her until Captain America 161. Mm -hmm. But here she is. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, I didn't. I, it makes more sense to me now, knowing that this comic is from the '40s, because it has much more of a '40s style feel to it. Um, just the the type of villains that these are, uh, all the gangsters around. Um, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting revelation for me. Yeah, I um, when I read this, I was kind of I was kind of having flashbacks, thinking I'd I'd read it before. I mean, I, I've read these issues before, but. Well, that seems pretty familiar. Even with Agent Thirteen, there's the same character. She's called Betty Ross in the the Golden Age issue, but oh, really? Um, yeah. So they they didn't give her a name here, but as you said, we find out eventually she's uh, Peggy Carter. Well, yeah, they can't call her Betty Ross now because Betty Ross has been established by this point in the Hulk comics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and surprise, she's yeah. also a secret agent. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So if you go to page seven, I'm also going to point out some missing faces. Look at that last panel. I love this, this panel where the faces are completely white and blank, showing just a flash kind of an impact. You know when you like, you hit your head and there's just this bright flash in your eyes? Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I feel like is happening right there. Yeah, and <laughs> I mean, throughout the issue, there's... Captain America uh, covering his face with a shield or he's got his 
his back towards towards the reader here. Um, I I wonder if Kirby. I mean, obviously Kirby was legendary for his output um, and consistency, but I wonder if that was just a little trick to save time. It could be. I mean, and you turn the page to page nine in the top panel. Look at how his arm goes right across his face there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you once you see it, you can't not see it. It's a, it's an uh, issue. I, I kind of regret you pointing that out. Now. I'm <laughs> yeah. see it everywhere. <laughs> okay, take us through the next one. This is a good one. Uh, Tales of Suspense number sixty-five is called "The Red Skull Strikes." Cap and Bucky are investigating a an attack on a major Croy, uh, and Bucky ends up getting kidnapped by. Uh, the Red Skull's goons um, who are robbing a bank there. And uh, there's a, also a plane test. Uh, a new plane is being tested on the army base, which ends up being sabotaged. And the uh, saboteur turns out to be who we are, we think is the Red Skull, posing as a as the owner of the, uh, the aircraft company. It's another Scooby-Doo reveal here. And it's even it's even gets worse. We'll talk about it in the next issue, but it's not even the red skull at all. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I yeah, I feel like um this issue was written and they're like, Man, that red skull character is too good to waste. We gotta figure out a way to keep him keep him around. <laughs> uh-huh. I like this one. It was a lot of fun. I, I and I especially like Red Skull's costume in this era, how it is just a green jumpsuit with a swastika on, on it. Very unassuming. I think nowadays he kind of just wears a suit or something, but um, it's fun to see him like this. I, I've never quite liked the way that uh, Kirby draws the Red Skull's mask. It, it looks a bit um, like Muppet-ish to me in a way. The, it, the features are very soft and it doesn't, it doesn't look scary to me. It doesn't look scary. Yeah, it's true. He has a very, like the, it's a very big brow. And the part of it is that I, I, you often can't see the, the teeth. And I think the thing, a lot of the things that make skulls so scary is the fact that you can see just the teeth with no lips. Um, and you don't get that from any of Kirby's skulls, skull drawings here at all. Mm-hmm. But that's like the, the movie Red Skull mask kind of look like this as well. I, I don't know. I, I like more of the, uh, <laughs> the more modern uh, Red Skull, who's a bit more intimidating. Yeah, for sure. And this story was also uh, was also part of the Golden Age stories. Um, okay. And, you know, down to the sabotage of the plane. And one of my favorite parts of this story uh, on the last page, on page 144 of the book, where Cap is looking at the, the list of, of targets. That that exact same list is in the is in the Golden Age story as well. So. So if you're reading these, you're 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 getting some good retellings, some better drawn, more modern retellings of some great Golden Age Captain America stories. That's awesome. Oh, and I do want to point out that uh, Red Skull is quite a bit more scary in the in the Golden Age. His eyes are, are sometimes green, and he still has the same same jumpsuit, but it's not it's not a green jumpsuit. It's a more maroon or red jumpsuit so wow yeah i'm gonna gonna have to check this out for sure okay moving on to tales of suspense number 66 
This one's the fantastic origin of the Red Skull. All new, never before revealed. And that actually now <laughs> makes sense knowing that this last story was a Golden Age story. So that, that comment, it's like, no, this is the Golden Age of comics lives again in this great new Marvel Age. So I'm assuming that this is an all new story that's not from before. Right. <laughs> um, what, so was this last issue the Red Skull's only appearance in Golden Age comics? Uh, no. So he appeared, I think, in number three, but he was still he was still the Joe Mixon character. Oh, okay. And then it, it's kind of confusing. So he, the imposter appeared a couple times, and then the Red Skull that we're familiar with, uh, whose real name is Johann Schmidt, appeared, I think, just a handful of times throughout the Golden Age as well. So. Oh, yeah. There he is on the cover of number three, and I see what you mean. He is, and that's what I'm talking about, the teeth with no lips. Yep. And and the beady eyes. Yeah, he looks way better in the Golden Age. Yeah. Uh, wow, that's awesome. <laughs> okay, uh, after this episode, I'm going to explore those comics a little bit more. <laughs> that's really cool. <laughs> okay, so in this story, Hitler molds a young bellboy into the perfect Nazi. And that's the Red Skull. And he drugs Captain America into submission and eventually Red Skull becomes so confident that he thinks he's better than than Hitler himself. What I like about this story is that it starts right in the middle of the action. Captain America is already caught, and we don't know how this has happened. How could somebody capture uh, Captain America like this? And not only that, it, he's being tortured, and we get to know all about the origin of the Red Skull. So I, I like this issue. It's uh, neat to see the beginnings of this humble character. And um, I'm sure it's been retconned throughout the years because World War II is so far removed from our history now. Yeah, I mean, I'm not sure what his latest origin is, but I'm, I'm betting he probably wasn't a bellboy in it. Yeah, I don't know. And... Any any issue of Captain America where where Hitler makes an appearance is great. Just the just the way Stanley writes him is such a a loose cannon. <laughs> yes, he's just so off his rocker. I mean, <laughs> definitely, yeah, a certain amount of propaganda in there for sure. And they do they do a good job of kind of bringing the Red Skull up to Hitler's level. I mean, he's he's constantly pressing back against Hitler throughout this issue and, and a couple later in the book here and uh, and basically saying, well, I'm I'm better than you, Adolf, and I'm just biding my time before I take over. Yeah, and I like how he kind of is, uh, he's in in the action there as well. Um, he's not one of these characters. Nowadays, I think maybe he's a little bit more like this, but back then, like on page 153, on page 8 in this story, He's right in there firing his machine guns along with the the other soldiers um, taking out whoever's in that village there. He's not afraid to get his hands dirty and let his thugs do all the work. Yeah, he's he's right in there uh, in his, his green jumpsuit. In his green jumpsuit, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so the next issue is issue number 67, and it's titled Lest Tyranny Triumph. And... We open to a brainwashed Captain America uh, who ends up being introduced to Hitler. Uh, in the meantime, Bucky escapes and poses as a Nazi where he ends up on the same airplane as Captain America on their way 
to uh, to kill one of the Allied generals, and it ends with Captain America struggling with his hand on the trigger, about to assassinate this general. This was an exciting issue. I really like the fact that Bucky gets in there and uh, and tries to save Cap, and then yep. doesn't save Cap. He doesn't actually do it. So that that was because I always expect these things to be kind of wrapped up in one issue and and stuff. So, but he doesn't he doesn't do that. He disguises himself in a German outfit and pretends to be uh, to go along for the ride. Yeah, and the the scene with the firing squad I thought was really well done with the the blank bullets that the the Nazis <laughs> do as a joke. And I'm not yeah. sure if they really really did that or not, but it wouldn't surprise me. That is a yeah. brutal joke. But the, uh, the inmates are, are in on the joke and end up attacking them. And, and Bucky kind of holds his own in this issue. We've He gets captured a lot throughout these stories. and uh, As sidekicks do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he kind of takes the initiative here and, and escapes on his own and ends up trying to do his best to stop the assassination. So on page three of this story, top panel, see the placement of the gun in this panel here? Uh-huh. Covering up Captain America's face. There's no, there's no reason for that. You could stage it a little bit better so that you can see Captain America's face. Again, I'm not, I'm not sure why. And they, uh, the last, last page of this book on page 166, um, they do the same thing again at the second to last panel. You can see his eyes, but it covers up the rest of his face. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like the fact that he, that Captain America has, his reflexes aren't affected by this hypnosis. So when Hitler goes to punch Cap in the face, he automatically brings up his shield. <laughs> Those are just his reflexes. You can't, can't do anything about that. Well, what good is Captain America without his, his reflexes and his skills, huh? Yep, that's right. But I love the fact that Hitler tries to take a swing at Cap because that directly <laughs> references that famous Captain America cover where Cap is hitting Hitler in the face. Yeah, and it says Hitler is saying how he's always dreamed of doing that, and he he still hasn't got fulfilled his wish there. So. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Captain America number sixty-eight, the Sentinel and the Spy. This is the final part to our three-part story. Captain America regains control of his mind, and then of course takes down Red Skull's team. And one of them escapes and steals something called Project Vanish, which is a gun that can make things invisible. Pretty cool. The pivotal moment in this story, when Captain regains his memory, is told between issues. We don't even see it. It's mm-hmm. uh, He's mind-controlled at the end of the last one, and in this one... He's already gained control of his mind, and the and the guys are struggling to restrain Captain America. Yeah, and poor poor Bucky, he gets there just too late. He <laughs> he, if he had done nothing, it would have still happened this way. So right, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then on page two, no, sorry, page three in the top panel, Bucky is reporting to this general, but he doesn't have his mask on. The general could see. Um, that this is clearly Bucky Barnes. If he knows who Bucky Barnes is, I, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's got his he's got his not fake Nazi uniform on there, but um, yeah, he's he's Bucky Barnes. <laughs> yeah. Um, this uh, project vanish 
is kind of the first real science fiction thing that we have in this book. I mean, I know the whole Operation Rebirth is science fiction, but this gun that's on page uh, seven is so Jack Kirby Mm -hmm. uh, in its design. And just the fact that we have a gun that can turn things invisible is something that we really haven't seen in this book, which has been fairly grounded in... Uh, in World War II realism, for the most part. I mean, it's still fantasy, but it's not science fiction like this. Yeah, it's um, it's a powerful weapon, but it says it's unstable. And I was thinking, well, if it's that powerful, why don't the the English use it? You know, why why leave it for the Germans to take? But um, <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's science fiction, and it kind of ties into uh, Captain America, the movie where they use the cosmic cube to fuel some very sci-fi weapons uh, on the world war two battlefield. Right. Yeah, that's right. And, uh, I like on page, uh, 174, page seven of the story where captain America is taking off his, his, uh, army uniform. And I, I guess he carries the shield around the whole yeah. time <laughs> right on his back there. I don't know how good of a disguise that is, but well, and the shield is like way he, he bigger than his frame. Off. You think that it would stick out, yeah. and then like army guys usually like load themselves up with backpacks and that kind of stuff as they're moving around. Can't imagine oh, maybe that would be too comfortable. Yeah. <laughs> I couldn't be comfortable though having a shield in between your backpack and yourself. Well, I, I guess if Angel from the X Men can can bind up his wings and walk around like normal, then Captain America can get, can get away with it. So. I guess so. You're probably right. <laughs> So here's the other thing at the end of this one. Captain America is actually pretty injured. And then he has to, uh, Bucky has to kind of dress him back up into his army fatigue so that he can be taken back to camp and healed up. Which I'm not sure. It's kind of a weird ending because they don't address that in the next issue at all. I wonder if this is a um, one of the things where Jack's artwork and Stan's dialogue kind of had to, coexist together in order to work it could be uh um yeah he just he gets taken out by a uh a tank shell and he kind of doesn't even defeat the the villain the gun blows up blows up in the villain's face yeah that's how he's taken down so yeah i guess he tricks him into setting it to full intensity right okay uh moving on to the next one here uh, yeah, Tales of Suspense uh, number 69 is called Midnight in Greymore Castle, and Cap and Bucky end up getting split up where Buck, when Bucky gets captured by a uh, doctor working for the Nazis, Dr. Rawlings. Um, Cap ends up finding out about this while he's on a, a mission with the Rangers, and uh, he hijacks a plane to go and rescue Bucky at Greymore Castle. So this was an interesting, um, kind of an odd issue here. There are a few things that are bizarre. Like at the very beginning, we find out that Dr. Rawlings has Captain America and Bucky in in these restraints. And he shrinks them down really small. And then we find out that they're actually not actually Captain America and Bucky. <laughs> it's actually plastic figures. But he it, he plans to do this to Captain America and Bucky, but then that never happens in this story. Like it's never yeah. mentioned again that he has the power to shrink things or anything like that. It's a it's a weird disconnect 
between what actually happens later on, which is this whole thing with this rocket. Yeah, it's kind of a little sci-fi element. We're getting a little more sci-fi all the time here, and it's it, it's just deadly radiation that shrinks them into into action figure size. And yeah, they kind of they're about. It seems like they're about to do it. Um, heading on, they have they have uh, Bucky strapped to one of these tables, and and the ray is almost on him, but they never actually shrink anyone in this issue. Right. Yeah, they don't. Yeah. I, I thought it was a bit I don't know it, it, maybe it's the just the way it flowed was a bit confusing and a bit jarring where you start out with the villains and then you move to this army operation and and the characters split up um, it didn't it didn't really flow that well for me yeah I agree it took me um, a little bit to figure out um, I felt like this was a very golden age type story um, and I, I think a lot of it is this issue was inked by Dick Ayers. And Dick Ayers takes a lot of the Kirby out of the drawing. And if you look at page six, um, page 184 in this collection here, um, like especially when Bucky's running over that branch or when he's being hit in the head, like those look like they're straight out of a Golden Age comic book. They do, yeah. It's not Silver Age style um, artwork at all. And uh, and so this has a very different feel to it from, right from the very beginning. Have Have you uh, reviewed Epic Collection number nine for Captain America yet? Yes. So uh, these characters or Greymore Castle gets revisited in issue two fifty six, I think. Um. Yes. Yes, it is. They and Bill Mantlo's run there. So, um, actually, it's just a fill in story by Bill Mantlo. Um. It's it's stuck in there right after the Roger Stern. And John Byrne run. Oh right, right. Um, but it's yeah, Mantlo and, and Gene Colan and these characters come back, and it's a it's a good issue. Uh, it's kind of um, undoes it. It redeems the character of Rawlings because he is a he's a traitor to his country. He's he's a he's British and working with the Germans. Well, he kind of he kind of has a redemption at the end at the third part of this issue or this uh this three-parter here yeah yeah yes yes he does um but i mean he's redeemed in a different i mean this is a conversation actually if you want to hear (laughs) what we talk about you should go listen to the um episode called don's early light it's captain america episode nine because we do get into the sequel story um over there but yeah let's continue on with uh do you have anything more to say about this issue in particular nope Okay, then let's keep on going over to the next issue, number 70. It's called If This Be Treason. And just before I recap, I just want to... It notes here that the layouts are Jack Kirby, and it says, Reintroducing the matchless artistry of one of the giants of the great golden age of comics, art by George Tusca. This is his big return to Marvel Comics. Um, George Tusca, like it says here, was a was an artist for the Golden Age back in the uh, timely days. And he stays at Marvel for quite a while, I think, through the 70s. And then I think he died in the early 80s. No, he died in uh, 2009, actually. Really? Oh, that's... Yeah, I... 1916 to 2009. Uh, oh, okay. I, had to, I looked him up because I wasn't uh, familiar with him, uh, with his introduction here in this issue. And um, yeah, he did He did horror, horror comics throughout the uh, the 50s. And then 
like you said, uh, he's back into Marvel superheroes here. Yeah, and he I don't think he ever had a real run, uh, like a steady run on any particular book. He kind of did a lot of fill-in issues here and there. I've seen him pop up in the Avengers in the 70s and like the Champions. He did it, or Marvel, um, Marvel villain team-up, uh, or super villain team-up, I mean. Like he pops up here and there. Uh, but yeah, it's kind of, it's always neat to see somebody, a famed person from the back kind of coming back. And he's got a very interesting inking style as well. Again, plays down the creepiness of the drawings. And uh, I don't know, I find him a little stiff for some reason, even though he's not doing the layouts. Still, his characters are a little, not as, not as well-rounded, I think, as as some of the other artists give Kirby's work. Yeah. He's definitely, definitely lighter than, uh, than the inker of the last issue than Dick Ayers, but right. Uh, yeah, stiff and still a very much golden age feel to this story. Yeah. Yeah. So this one is called if this be treason and it's because there are multiple treasons here. Uh, of course, Dr. Rawlings is a, is a traitor like we mentioned before, but then there's also the fact that um, Steve Rogers is accused of being a deserter in this issue because they can't find him during the war. They think he's run off. And then also Captain America steals um, a German airplane in order to get himself to Greymore Castle and people see him uh, flying this German vehicle and try to shoot him down. So there's a few, it's kind of a, a multi-purpose title. Tales of Suspense number 71 is the the final part of our trilogy here. Uh, it's called When You Lie Down with Dogs. Uh, Cap and Bucky are, are trying to or escape and try to prevent the rocket from launching. Um, Celia Rawlings is killed and, uh, and Dr. Rawlings decides to get revenge on the Nazis and uh, redirect the rocket towards the Nazi forces, which ends up saving uh, the Ranger team that Steve Rogers was a part of. Yeah. I, I thought that the, um, the Rangers storyline was kind of pointless. The subplot. Yeah, I agree. I, I, I'd kind of forgotten about it by the time we got to the end of the story here. It was yeah. It was just unnecessary drama, and um, even if it just happened to be the fact that Rawlings pre- uh, programmed this to to save those guys, but it didn't have to be that. He could have just programmed it to fire on some sort of Nazi um, base of some sort. But yeah, it was kind of a pointless subplot. And I think I think part of it uh, is I mean, obviously we don't want American troops to die, but we don't really know any of the Rangers beyond the, uh, the Sergeant that you're not supposed to like. And it seems like such an ancillary part of who Captain America is at this point. Yeah, it is. Uh, okay. So Rawlings, yeah, you said Rawlings avenges his sister in this one. And then in the, in the sequel, he hands over some of his secret formulas uh, or this book with ancient runes that he finds in the castle uh, to help further science or something like that, uh, which is, it's just a, it, it was just a fill-in story. So there, it bears no sort of significance on this story or anything else 
from um, Captain for Captain America moving forward. Oh, unless you're a big fan of Doctor Rawlings, right? Yes, because that is his <laughs> sure only there. other his only <laughs> other appearance. So this this one is laid out by Jack Kirby, penciled by George Tusca, and inked by Joe Sinnott. So usually you don't get three people working on the pages at the same time. It must have been bare bones layouts. But I think I like the combination of George Tusca with Joe Sinnott. Um, it's I, I think that the the art in this one is really nice. I do too. And you, you can tell Kirby uh, doesn't have a heavy hand in it because there's no Kirby faces. and <laughs> I mean... It, not that he is doing a bunch of faces in this book anyways, but um, yeah, right. <laughs> on, on page uh, four of the story, uh, that's definitely not a Kirby Captain America face in the last page or the last panel there. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely a lot of, um, or like Dr. Rawlings on page seven as he's looking up from his sister. It, yeah, but there's a few poses. If you look at page six when Bucky's punching the soldier, that's yeah. a very Kirby pose there. So you can see the influence a little bit, but yeah, it's so far far removed from from Kirby at this point that it looks it I guess it's just George Tusca. So what did you think of the the three stories uh overall? Uh I liked it better. It it had a little ro- rocky start like you said, um but the story overall was was quite good i thought um i liked the like dealing with traitors and and how that affects people and the um the fact that you know the nazis didn't care for him because he was a traitor even though he was giving them what they wanted and stuff like he had no place Mm -hmm. um so that was an interesting story to tell uh and i liked the way cap worked in there and um you know he didn't really do anything in this story though if you think about it it's kind of the indiana jones situation where if you take captain america out of the situation out of the story (laughs) um things will probably still progress this in the same way like this the soldiers would probably still put celia in the rocket ship which would cause rollins to change the coordinates and you know um, i don't know celia would still die yeah, I think it was better than the uh, last set of stories with the Red Skull, mm-hmm. but but not quite as good as the next ones we'll be we'll be looking at here. Right. Yeah, the sleeper shall awake. Tales of Suspense number seventy-two. Now, this was an interesting way to bring us up to present day. Uh, it says um, at some, somewhere in here, it says that um, you know you wanted more present day stories so we're going to deliver um we have a story where captain america kind of remembers for some reason this particular day that they're on is ringing heavy in his head he remembers that it's exactly 20 years after the death of the red skull and the red skull said that he is going to program some giant robots to come alive 20 years in the future and run, run amok and start destroying things and so Captain America has this metal box that he saved from the war, which I don't know how he saved that since he was buried in ice, but he has that. Then it has three names and three locations on it. And those are the locations he figures out for these things called the sleepers. Mm-hmm. 
and this this first story reveals the first sleeper, a giant Soviet no not Soviet a giant Nazi robot with uh, spiky boots and claws for hands, <laughs> and uh, and a, a loudspeaker for for, for a brain. head yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yep. It's kind of an odd uh, an odd first part to this story. I like how Captain America has been. Uh, they've been treating these flashback stories as if he's been telling his fellow Avengers about his World War II exploits. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of a neat way to tie in the continuity and bring it kind of to present day. The Avengers in this issue are Captain's new team of Avengers, which is uh, Hawkeye, Scarlet Witch, and Quicksilver. All of the, the bad other guys. Avengers. Yeah, the bad Avengers, the villain Avengers. Um <laughs> This is still George Tuska doing the art over top of Jack Kirby's layouts, but you can see more of Jack Kirby's influence in these pages as well. I like the the framing of of the story, and I think so. At the at the end of the issue is what you were referring to, where the very last page they say uh, this tale is being presented in answer to your request for more stories of America's red, white, and blue Avenger in the present, and that's not. I mean, they kind of retcon the the last stories we read into being told in the present, but they're still flashbacks. Yeah. So I'm kind of glad we jump up here, even though we're still fighting Nazis, and it, this could right. have easily been a, a World War II story. And it might have been if it were not yeah. for the fact that they had that first page in there. Yeah, yeah, um, very easily could have been. The first page could be a last-minute edition. The first sleeper here... He changes colors about four times throughout <laughs> all of these issues. He does. Issues. He's, yep. he's gold on the cover, and then he is uh, like a maroon kind of orangey or brown color in this issue. And well, I'll, I'll I'll make note of it as we go on here. But sure, just no consistency there. None at all. Um, I thought that the Red Skull's death was fairly underwhelming. Um, I would have figured they'd make a big deal, a bigger deal out of this this character's demise um, because he was, you know, he's the only consistent villain throughout all of these stories here. But no, he's just kind of buried under rubble. And of course, we find out that, that he's actually still alive a few issues later, mm-hmm. but still it would have been, it, it was kind of a a nothing, a nothing death for this character. He's, uh, and, and Captain America sees that He's always worn armor under his his green jumpsuit there. (laughs) Yes. Uh, uh, Tales of Suspense number 73 is called Where Walks the Sleeper. And uh, so now the sleeper's purple. Mm -hmm. And the sleeper is causing damage. And Captain America, this whole time, is just trying to figure out how to stop the sleeper. And while he's trying to figure out how to stop the first sleeper, the second sleeper is awoken. It looks like this flying manta ray and it picks up the other sleeper, so now they are, it's a flying, it's kind of a goofy-looking contraption. Yeah. Um, it doesn't get better in the next issue. <laughs> oh, no, it sure doesn't. Um, and, uh, yeah, the the explosion. So this is my favorite part of this issue is that the Nazi woman who is uh, trying to dig up the sleeper has hired these goons to un- uncover it, and they find this trigger, and she just says, hit it on the top with your with your shovel and he hits it and it triggers this bomb and is the most devastating explosion like yeah these guys and probably that woman too 
are all just blown to smithereens. Oh, yeah, they're gone. It, it tears apart the house there on page 226. Yeah, it's a great drawing. Liquefies the earth there, yeah. And then the, the sleeper itself, yeah, it's like a manta ray kind of flying saucer thing. Um, and, yeah, Captain America doesn't, he doesn't do much in this. He just kind of chases after and and jumps on and... I think I think my favorite part, the part I laughed at the most, was the Nazi agent who's activating the third sleeper in the next issue. He he's going to a pawn shop because he pawned. Um, <laughs> yes, this, it's like a, it looks like a music box. He pawned it years ago, and it's still there. It's twenty still there years later. <laughs> I mean, what happened if the pawn shop owner? twisted the little <laughs> the little dial or something right. you know or just got rid of it like it wasn't yeah. a secure place to keep it <laughs> i guess he did the money at the time for whatever yeah maybe whatever he could get for that box but <laughs> oh boy yeah so okay let's see you want to go through the the next one here uh sure so uh tales of suspense number 74 sees the third sleeper awake and my favorite Cap- sleeper the the giant head uh, with a, a swastika on it. <laughs> yes, a giant a giant. It's a giant metal head of the red skull. <laughs> yeah, and it, it kind of clunks onto the top of the manta ray, so the manta ray becomes sandwiched in uh, between the other two sleepers, and they all change colors again. They they turn to uh, turn to gray. Yep, and it base they basically threaten to destroy the entire planet and shatter the globe um and captain america is able to get on top and use his uh his welding torch basically to uh to destroy the sleepers and they they go off into the ocean and and get destroyed so how exactly does this work how does he destroy these guys because i couldn't figure this out i just you, you see him on page 243 uh the last page of the story you see him just blow a big flame, and and then he jumps off. Yeah, and then it and then explodes in the middle of the air over the ocean. And I don't know how that happens, but uh, he apparently saves the day. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not explained at all, really. Um, he says, "I've got to reach the skull, affix the flamethrower at just the right angle." And no matter how brilliant the Red Skull was, he couldn't give his sleeper the power to think. It can only do what it's programmed to do. But that still doesn't explain anything. Well, I, I, what I'm guessing is the the heat that it was designed to to ignite in in the Earth and set off all these thermal explosions. He maybe Captain America set that off prematurely. Oh, okay, and, yeah. But it's not clearly explained at all. No, it's not. Um, I feel like they ran out of space to tell their story in this last issue because they kind of yeah. crammed the small explosion panels at the very bottom of this last page. Because uh, there are lo- lar- lots of large panels in this issue. And if they had uh, thought about it a little bit better, maybe they could have um, saved some room for a better explanation at the end here. Yeah. I, I love this story. I love all three of these issues. They're, it's very exciting, and even though Captain America um, isn't really too effective in the first couple of them, um, no, it's but it's this whole race against time. Yeah, and that that does make it exciting for sure. And uh, I liked on in this issue on page two thirty seven 
<laughs> you get a little preview of Captain America becoming a, a cartoonist eventually. He, <laughs> oh, yeah, he draws, that's right. He draws some pretty... Uh, <laughs> I mean, I, I hesitate to call them children's drawings, but they're they're close um, of the, the sleepers, and they figure out how how the third part fits in the giant brain, yeah. even though, even though it can't think. So I don't, I'm not really sure why it's there, but <laughs> I guess it's just the bomb part of it. So later on, Captain America will face a fourth and eventually a fifth sleeper as well. So they, the Red Skull's menace is not finished at this point. Oh, I'm sure there's sleepers that still haven't even popped oh, yeah. up today. That's very <laughs> true. Tales of Suspense, number 75, starting a new story called 30 Minutes to Live and introducing uh, it says here Lee and Kirby's newest bombastic baddie, the blockbusting Batrock. And he, he's he's one of my favorites. He's he's always over the top and just he's silly in his own way but he, he can uh, definitely keep up with, with Captain America. The thing that I like about Batrock is he's not actually really a villain. He's a work for hire guy. And mm-hmm. the people who happen to hire him are villains getting him to steal stuff. But if he needs to, uh, if he needs to work with the good guy for for some other reason, then he he will, and he does that in this story. So in this issue, uh, this mysterious group of scientists—we don't know who they are—they're always in the shadow. They have created a special uh, chemical uh, destructive element called inferno 42 and um it's it has the power of you know an atomic explosion or something um but then shield agents steal it from them so they hire batrock to steal it back and then captain america happens to get mixed up in all of that because especially because the 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 uh the cylinder containing the um, inferno 42 happens to be carried by an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. that looks very, very familiar to Captain America. Looks uh, almost identical to the woman that we met in the previous issue, Agent 13, from, uh, what is that, Tales to Astonish 64. Uh, Tales of Suspense, yeah. Or sorry, Tales of Suspense, yeah. Tales of Suspense number 64. Uh, Yeah, so this is uh, Sharon Carter. Yeah. Uh, The other Agent 13. Although we will not find out her name in this issue or for some time now. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah. And just because I've been pointing him out the whole time, uh, go to page nine and look at this middle panel. <laughs> what the heck is going on? I don't even know what this panel is supposed to be doing here. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Batrock looks okay. I mean, you can tell what he's doing. I can, yeah, I can. you can tell for sure. But again, it's like his face is he's tilted up but then there's this one streak of light that like just blocks his the rest of his face i don't understand that but then what is wrong with captain america's body in this i just don't understand yeah what's going on here at all if that's his uh his knee or his butt it's kind of hard to tell and just where is his head if you follow his body upwards to there's just nothing up there yeah, it, it kind of it looks like it should be behind the word word uh, balloon, but it, there, yeah, it's just white space up there. <laughs> it's, I don't understand. Very strange panel. But other than that, um, I quite enjoyed this issue. This this uh, little trilogy of stories right here is the highlight of the book for me. Other than, of course, Avengers number four, 
and the origin of Captain America. These three stories are are quite excellent. I liked it a lot. It's good to see good to see a change from from Nazis, even though as fun as that is, it's you get a huge splash of color with the introduction of uh, Batroc. Yeah, and then and then Agent Thirteen uh, is and they're they're kind of setting up things we'll talk about in our next episode on this book mm-hmm. um, with shadowy organizations and and shield and whatnot. But uh, yeah, it's definitely definitely a splash of color here towards the end of our episode. So Tales of Suspense number 76 shows more of uh, Captain America and Batroc fighting over the cylinder and Batroc thinks he gets the upper hand and he ends up leading Captain America to where this unnamed organization is uh, conducting their plans here uh, with the Inferno 42 substance. So this one features art by Jazzy Johnny Romita. Mm-hmm. Not even layouts by Jack Kirby. And I think you can tell there's just certain panels in here that are just stuff that Kirby wouldn't do. Um, and I'm thinking a lot of the shots of Batroc leaping. He leaps in a way that is not Kirby-ish, I guess. Um, this is just a few months before he would take over Spider-Man. I think he's working on, uh, Romita's working on Daredevil at the same time as this right now. And then I think three or four months later, yeah, he'll be the full-time Spider-Man penciler. And uh, yeah, this was this was um, sort of a transition-y issue between the, this, this part and the next part because Captain America and Batroc kind of just go at it for most of this issue. They're just, it's this back and forth between who gets the cylinder constantly fighting. There's not a whole lot more to it than that until the very end of the issue. It, it's a bit confusing. I, I had to go back and look a couple times, and I, I guess that was probably the intention on who has the real cylinder and, and what's the status of it at whatever given moment. But uh, and you know, it's kind of disappointing to see um, to see Agent Thirteen sort of ineffective throughout this story. But, yeah. Um, but she does pull the switch uh, on the cylinders and ends up their plan ends up working and and Batroc leads Captain America right to to the organization here. I felt like we had um, some f- kind of a rough dismount at the end here because Stan has to put in a uh, the, what what we're supposed to realize in a little yeah. panel and in. in on page 10 he's like see that's why cap let them escape he knew the cylinder was a a phony thanks stan for letting us know if uh if this was important information you should have written it into the actual dialogue (laughs) or something (laughs) i guess it's better late than never i guess so but yeah it was a little clunky and um a bit expositiony at the end there you can see there's quite a few more yeah more words on that last page there definitely yeah i think stan had to tell most of uh, the way the story ends up in the dialogue. And I and wonder if that's just the ineffectiveness of Romita. I mean, he, but he was, you know, he's not a new guy. He's been doing comics since the 50s and such. So, um, but it's just odd that uh, the pacing was a little off here. Yeah, every once in a while with the Marvel method, you kind of run into something like that where yeah. there's a disconnect. And it's not, I mean, it's not anything... It doesn't ruin the issue for me, but it you do have to kind of 
go back and reread and say, oh, okay, now that now that makes sense, a little more sense. And the final issue that we're going to be talking about today is issue number 77. It's called If a Hostage Should Die. And um, what I love about this, these three issues is that this whole story is a transition from the Captain America of World War II stories that we've been hearing to this new Captain America present day storyline that's going to be starting in this next in the next issue. And so we get a we get a flashback story uh, again. Captain America thinking about the girl that he met, um, this agent, this mysterious agent of Shield, and how much he reminds her that she reminds her of this girl he knew from World War Two. So we get this World War Two story about um, the original Agent Thirteen and how um, he loses track of her through the war. And I think they keep referring to um, the big drive, which is when all of the Allied forces kind of drive on, or I guess uh, America and Britain drive on France and rec- reclaim France. Uh, that, yeah, that's my understanding of it. Yeah, because they're in France right now. So this is the liberation of France, which is in 1944. And mm-hmm. during the celebration he loses track of this woman and she, I guess in an explosion loses her memory. So she doesn't even know who she is. And then that's kind of it. It's a, it's a sad story to end with because Cap is kind of lost in his, in his thoughts in his years and doesn't quite know his place in modern society thinking about all the people he knew just a short while. It seemed like just a short while ago for him, but it's been actually 20 years, but I, I enjoyed this one quite a bit. The artwork was really nice. Again, this time it was layouts by um, by Kirby with pencils by John Romita, and they work well together. Yeah, there's there's a lot going on in the art. Um, there's there's a level of detail that uh, has, has been missing from a couple of the recent issues, at least in terms of the backgrounds. Yes, yeah, definitely. the vehicles and and even just like the the bullet trails are really really high detail in this one. Yeah. Yeah, it's a sad story. I mean, and she never she never gets named, as far as I could tell, in the issue here. No, she doesn't. Um, and they they have they had a very brief romance. Um, I think they said only a couple weeks, and he never he never took his mask off the whole time. And she says, even though I've never seen the face behind your mask, I know deep in my heart that there can never be any other man for me. And I mean, that's just he he says, do you realize what you're saying? And it's just you can tell they really they really reinforce the bond that they have and it just makes it all the more tragic at the end when they get separated and she seems to forget all about him and who she is she eventually remembers because if we go back to um the two issues ago where captain america first bumps into this um into who we find out later will be sharon carter um, and she says, um, when I first saw you, I too f- felt as though we've known each other. And then she thinks to herself, I almost made a fool of myself. Sis had told me so often of the boy she knew in World War II, but he'd be so much older by now. It couldn't have been him. What would he have thought if I asked him, is your name Steve Rogers? So, <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I mean, that's true, but he... Did he reveal his real name? I mean, if he never took off his mask. Well, I'm guessing that. Um, well, yeah, then that, 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 that's that's the thing. I, you could imagine that maybe 
once he died that his identity became public knowledge. Yeah. And so she knew from that. But then if that's the case, he wouldn't have a secret identity right now. Yeah, I guess we'll just chalk it up to a little disconnect there. But um, yeah, I mean, Peggy Carter is definitely definitely a, a large character in the Captain America mythos here. So Yeah, and I think later on, Peggy Carter is Sharon's aunt and not her yeah, sister. not her sister. Because yep. otherwise, Sharon... Because then there would be like a 20-year age difference between the two of them. She's probably even older than that now. Probably they call her grandma or something like that now. But yeah, yeah, it's it's just a it's kind of an odd story. Um, you have another firing line in here with with Peggy Carter under the firing line this time, um, and she really only escapes because of the shell that that hits and makes her lose her memories. Um, Right. Other than that, there's not really a lot of a lot of action. No, which is kind of neat to see. I mean, it's nice to have these more character building uh, issues every once in a while. Although you, you say no action, but if you go to page two sixty nine, there's there's a full out war going on in this one well, <laughs> on this one page. That's that's true. <laughs> well, there we go. Let's stop right there. And uh, what a great place to stop because the next issue is a team up between Captain America and Nick Fury and it sets the stage for a bunch of stuff to come. Yeah, I can't wait. Uh this is when the book really starts to pick up and, yeah. and there's a lot of fun stuff in here. So we will do these episodes back to back so hopefully as uh, as long as everything goes according to plan next week we will be back with episode 1 part 2 which this one was called Captain America Lives Again. I might call part 2 The Red Skull Lives Again. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, thanks, Drew, for walking us through these early years of Captain America and bringing some great insight. Yeah, thanks for having me, Curtis. Yeah, we look forward to seeing you in the next one. I'll be there. <laughs>